come against either for or against governmental leaders. You look in the Bible, when a leader was leading a godly life, the prophets came alongside and with their words, they pushed them forward. On the other hand, when governmental leaders got out of whack with God, the prophets would come and bring a word of correction to them. That's why prophets cannot be fearful, timid souls, amen? They have to be brave and courageous knowing they carry the very word of the Lord. Excellent. Next one we have is pastors. How many know what a pastor is supposed to do? A pastor's number one job is to protect the flock. How many of you know you can't be a pastor and be a wimp? Oh, raise your hand on that one. The Bible is very clear. Shepherds under the chief shepherd will protect the flock and if needed, lay down their life. A pastor protects, a pastor feeds, a pastor leads, amen? And godly pastors are protectors because they understand that flock was purchased by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. They also know every sheep that comes in their congregation one day, they're going to have to give an account before the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, over their soul. How many know that's a weighty responsibility that every pastor should feel? Amen? Someone, would you bless me and bring me a, a water? If possible. God bless you. Next one we have is what? Evangelist. What does an evangelist do? How many are thankful for evangelists? I mean, you're thankful for evangelists, amen? God bless you, brother. An evangelist's job is to win souls, amen? The name Jesus means the Lord who what? Saves. We know statistically 95% of Christians have never learned one person to Christ. How many know that one day we're going to go before Jesus Christ with all the angels of heaven, all the saints that went before us, and they're going to ask you a question. Do you know what it is? How many souls did you lead to Jesus? You lived in the time of winning of souls. How many would say, I want to go to heaven and be known as a fisher of men that caught no fish? No one. Lift your hands right now. If you've never, if you have a faith to win souls, just lift your hands right now. God, I'm asking right now. That just clicked in some people's spirit. God, let us not be fishermen and women that go to heaven without a catch. I'm asking right now souls would begin to be one. I thank you neighbors are going to hear the gospel preach. Family members are going to hear the gospel preach. Loved ones that are far out are going to be brought in in Jesus' mighty name. Send the fire of evangelism right now over your people and let souls be one in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we have the final one, which is teachers. How many of you thank God for godly teachers? A teacher is responsible to bring sound doctrine. Amen? We have a generation. I had a prophet 20 years ago say something. I've never forgotten. You want to hear what it was? All right, I got one amen. All right, I heard send it. Now we got real talk there, brother. He said this. And when I heard it, it was so strange to me. He said, before the Antichrist can come, 
There will be a biblically illiterate generation. Write that down. Great thought. And when I heard it, I thought, this is a biblically illiterate generation in the United States of America? 20 years later, we're almost there. If you hear some of the nonsense preached from pulpits, you would be certain the Bible is no longer the center of preaching. And how many of you know our country? We have a country right now that does not know if a male is a male and if a female is a female. How many of you know that could not happen if our children were hearing the B-I-B-L-E? Amen? Because the Bible says in the beginning God created what? Males and females in his image and his likeness. That's where you start off. So how many of you know this agenda would absolutely have its head cut off if we would again begin to preach the Bible? Amen? This battle we're in right now with transgenderism comes back to an issue of sovereignty. You and I did not get to choose if we're male, female, when we were born, where we were born, our parents. Those were all sovereign decisions. And this battle right now is a bunch of evil people trying to tell our kids that you can become like God. No, you cannot. Amen. Amen. Now, I know you're not going to hear that in the PC message, amen, but how many of you know we would rather be biblically correct than politically correct, amen? So it says this, so he puts together these five fingers, waves your fingers up again, and you say, for what? Here it is. For the equipping of the saints. Now, what does that mean? That means the pastor, the leader, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, teacher, and evangelist, their job is to be a coach to train you to go do ministry. Amen? My job, I'm not the star of the team. I'm the coach. And so a fivefold ministry is an equipping ministry. One of the ways that I judge how I've done as a pastor is two things. You know what they are? Number one, does that person love Jesus more at the end of the year than they did at the beginning? How many know that's a good measuring mark? Amen. Number two, are they equipped, have tools, and know how to use them so that they can function in their gifting and calling for what? Now let's look at the next line. For the work of the ministry. How many have found out that ministry equals what? Work. But it's awesome work. And as the saying goes, when you do something you love, it's never work. I don't care. God sent me all over the world to preach the gospel in lots of strange and unique places. I never consider it a job. Why? Because it's what he called me to do. Amen. And I love last night I saw people serving in different capacities, putting chairs, chopping wood, getting food set up, all these different things. And how many of you know you did it with the right spirit and the right heart? What are you? You're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. As my wife says all the time, she loves this quote and she's lived it. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you become a what? A servant of all. Amen. Servanthood is the pathness, write this down, to greatness. 
So if you want to live a great life, serve God and do whatever he asks you to do. Whether you're standing on a stage or you're flipping burgers over on the burger stand there, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, now for the edifying of the body of Christ. How many of you know God wants his body strong? How many would say that the church right now is strong like it was in the book of Acts? How many know it's going to get there? How many know it has to get there? How many know God said it will get there? And we're going to talk about how it's going to get there. And we're going to talk about the enemies we're going to fight in order to get there. Now follow the passage here. For the body of Christ... Till we all come to the unity of faith. How many know the church is not in the unity of faith? Good gosh. We have areas. Uh, I, I preached one time in Alaska. I'll never forget. There was an area of about three miles, and there was 40 churches that all had split from one another. How many know the unity is not yet within the church? Amen. Now, you will never hear me say, water down the message. There's certain people I would never partner with because our foundation together has to be the Bible. Amen? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and that church should not be either. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is religion. Religion makes cookie cutters. How I many know God ain't into using cooker cutter molds? Amen? God builds his building with living stones. Babylon, the wicked harlot, was built with bricks. Bricks represents man's work, man's ability. God says, I take unique stones and I place them exactly where I want them. How many of you know that God knows exactly where you fit? Some of you in the crowd right now, I feel it so strong, have never found where you fit. I want to encourage you, if you are in Christ, he knows exactly where to place you. Amen? And when he fits you in, it will be perfect. It will be unique. It will be powerful. You will have a certainty. I am at where I'm supposed to be at, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Amen? Why? Because you've been placed by God, not by who? Yourself. How many of you try to place yourself somewhere? Come on, be honest. I mean, you know, it doesn't work out. But when God places you, it's always a perfect fit. Amen? And he says this, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, I want to talk about this. How many know there's people that say, yeah, I know Jesus. But how many know there's people that know him at a different level? Okay? I look at some of the people in the crowd. I look at my wife there. You can say, well, you've met my wife. Well, you don't know her like I know her. Amen. I've walked with her for many years. She's been with me through thick, thin, highs, lows, downs, great moments, horrible moments. I know her. Amen. Where's my friend Jared? Where are you at? My best friend here, Jared Redinger. Lift your hand. Where are you at, Jared? He's in the back. Okay. I have people, we've done ministry all over. There's Jared, Miranda, Wade and Steele, powerhouse family. Give the Redigers a hand, amen. Came all the way from Oregon here. Awesome family. 
When I do ministry, there's no one better I'd love to travel with than Jared. Why? Because we've been in many spiritual foxholes together. There are certain people I will not go on certain trips if I don't know them and they're not tested. Why? Because you don't want to figure out when demonic rounds start flying who it is who stands next to you. Amen? But the Bible says this. It says, those who know their God shall be strong and do what? Carry out, good job, great exploits. Jesus wants you and I to know him. Now you say, how does that happen? Just follow him. Where will he take you? Only he knows. Do you know the only thing he told his apostles he chose? He said what? Come and follow me. Do you know one of the most powerful passages in the Bible? It says this. Where I'm at, my servant will be also. Could you imagine being anywhere in this world, but you're not at where Jesus wants you to be? I don't care the titles, the money, the opulence you had. You would be bankrupt and destitute if you're at a place where Jesus is not at. On the other hand, if Jesus takes you, no matter where you go, you are full of all of the fullness and the goodness and the wealth of God because you stand next to Christ. Amen? Amen. I got a half amen out of that. So it says this. To a perfect man, how many of you know God is going to bring the church to perfection? He said it. Complete, whole, perfect. There will be a generation that God says, that's what I was waiting for. When you see the, come on, every young person right now, lift your hand to heaven. If you're a young person in the crowd, when I see these young people, I hope you know, that's why these wicked, satanic individuals are trying to mutilate, maim, and kill little children because they know these generations may be the one where God says, that's the generation I was waiting for till my return because the church will be brought to perfection. Amen? Amen. And he says this, that we should no longer be children. How many know what the word children means? I mean, you like studying words. There's the Greek word, there's three words. There's nepios, which means what? A baby, a little child or a baby. That's the word here. We should no longer be little babies. Then there's the next word in the Greek, which is technon. That means you're growing up, Amen. I mean, you see, when your kids start to grow up and they can start to pack some weight, amen? You go, wow, you've moved from a nepios to a technon. But the scripture says that there is a term called a weos or a mature son and daughter of the Most High. When Jesus was baptized and the heavens opened up and the Father said, this is my beloved son, my weos, in whom I'm well pleased, it meant all of the wealth of heaven, Jesus was now ready and able and mature enough to operate in. How many would say that you are mature enough right now to operate in the fullness of God moving through you in full capacity? Awesome, I'm glad. How many know he wants to get us there?
And he's going to do that like a perfect father and mature you. And as you mature each measure, God will then put a special grace and an anointing. Why? Because he knows you can handle it. Amen? So he says this, no longer tossed and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. I want to end on this thought. By the trickery of men. Now, when I was thinking of this, God took me back to a ministry trip. We were in Phnom Penh in Cambodia. How many have been there? Anyone been there? Anyone been to Cambodia? And there's a Russian market there. They call it the Russian market. And if you've been there, every single item, about 98% of them you can purchase or what? Anyone know? Counterfeits or their knockoffs. You may buy a Louis Vuitton purse for $14 and it looks good. Please don't bring one home. Amen. Why? That Louis Vuitton purse will fall apart in less than a week. Why? Because it is a knockoff. Do you know what we have a lot of in modern day American church? We have a Cambodian swap meet of knockoffs being passed off as the authentic. Amen. But you know how you spot a Cambodian knockoff? You spot it because you know the authentic. I got one clap. Amen. Do you know what happens when false apostles, false prophets, false teachers, false pastors, false evangelists, do you know when they get shaken out of churches? When the real shows up. Because when the real shows up, there's authenticity. And with authenticity comes power. And with power comes anointing. Because you cannot generate something that comes from heaven. Amen. You either receive it and it flows through you. And I have seen individuals that were passing off cheap Cambodian knockoffs to the church. And the sad thing is most of the church cannot distinguish what's real and what's not. Amen. But I thank God that God's raising up a people that are digging back in the word of God, getting in the presence of God, fellowshipping with other believers in God and pressing in saying, God, we want the real Get rid of the fakes. Amen. Why do you think when Jesus came in the temple, he kicked over the money changers tables? They were pimping, prostituting and selling counterfeits. And Jesus said, let your tables be knocked over. Come on. Before Jesus returns again in the church. One of the saddest scriptures in Revelation says, he stands at the door and he does what? Knocks. How many know he wasn't speaking to an unbeliever? It was written to one of the seven letters to the what? The church. It meant church was happening without Jesus. Jesus was on the outside of the church. And how many of you know, when he came the first time, before he entered the temple, he had to kick over the money changers before he went in. How many of you know the same thing's about ready to happen again? Before the glory of God fills the church, the money changers that are taking ministries to pimp, prostitute, make a name, get likes, get Facebook posts. No, your ministry is to bring glory to Christ 
him and him alone. Amen. If that's your heart, then you have an authentic God-inspired ministry because the Spirit of God draws all men and women to who? Christ, not you. Real ministry is preparing a way, and when Jesus shows up, guess what you do? Get off the stage. John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he what? Might increase. John prepared the way. When Jesus showed up, he got out of the way. That is the secret to ministry. Write it down. When the glory of God comes, the Bible is very clear. No flesh will glory in his presence. I want to end on that. I'm going to pray a simple but a powerful prayer. If that's you, number one, if you don't know Jesus, lift your hand right now. I will not leave here. You don't know Christ. No eyes looking. I want you to just lift your hand before the Lord. Come on, you've got to have confidence and faith. He's here to save you. I want you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today as my King and my Savior. Thank you for dying for my sins. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Wash me with the blood of Jesus. Remove all defilement of sin in my life. Fill me now with the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank you today. I am born again, saved by your awesome name. Come on, give them a hand. They just joined the family of God. Now, I want to pray this last prayer. I didn't get the five-minute mark, so I'm good. Amen? I mean, no, five's the number of grace, so if they gave me the five-minute mark, I may go over it because they'd show me grace anyways. Amen? All right. If you want to do something in your life that brings honor to him, lift your hand. Father, right now, you see all these precious hands here, these precious people that you love, and you gave your life for. Come on. Stand right now if you feel led to. Just stand in the presence of God. He's here right now. Father, I'm asking right now, you hear their cry. God, let me do something for you because I love you and I want to honor your great name. God, I'm asking right now that that anointing would come. Begin to remove the things, God, and our life that don't bring you honor. And God, I'm asking that you would help us. God, none of us want to bring disrepute to your name. But God, we know there's areas in our life that can trip us up. So God, you said when sin abounds, grace abounds more. Let a tidal wave of grace come now. I'm asking, there it is, that tidal wave's just beginning to come over you right now. Just let it, whatever it is that's holding on to you, just tell it, go. Come on, just say it loud. Go. Whatever it is. Father, let that wave come right now.
Let those things that have hindered, bound up, locked up, begin to be removed right now. Let that great tidal wave of your spirit and of your presence be released right now. Father, I'm asking right now that every chain, everything that binds would begin to be broken in the spirit realm right now in Jesus' mighty name. God, wash every stain of sin, sins we've committed, sins that have been committed against us, generational sins. God, I'm asking right now, wash over us with a mighty torrent of your spirit, of your power, and of your anointing. And God, let it be said at the end of our life that we loved you and we lived a life that was pleasing to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful time at Bard's Fest. All right, so I told you, that's the way to wake up right there. Forget the caffeine shots. Hey, all right, so just so we know real quick, um, in a little bit here, and we'll let you know, we're going to over at the Resistance Chicks table, because they've got a cool table. We're going to put out samples of the new um, Bard's coffee. It's for everybody. We've got about 300 bags, so... And we, and we want you to sign up for the raffle because we've also got some great stuff coming. Some, we even added some books to that, which uh, Commander Green's book's going to be part of that. He's a Navy commander who's in uniform, calling out names of the people that violated the Constitution on this vax. Powerful people. Now, this, is, this has ended up kind of being a powerful day, what we might call Veterans Day. But yeah, that sure sounded right. This is real Veterans Day today. Man, did that sound right. See, we, we do this thing of Veterans Day, but this is a new time, a new era. And what you're going to hear today are people that have been in the trenches in one type of war that are now joining us in the trenches in this type of war. This is really powerful. Now, the next person up, and we'll get his attention here in a minute. Next person up is Lieutenant Colonel Retired Ivan Ranklin. Now, let me, let me tell you a little bit about this, man. We just had a great talk over here. He says to me, he says, brother, he goes, look, I, I, I hope I chose the right scriptures. He says, I'm, I'm just kind of a, I'm a guy that walks with Christ, but I'm not deep in it. And I said, listen, I said, this is why God's got you here. Because this man right here is a one man wrecking ball when it comes to DC. He takes no prisoners. He fights like you've never fight. And you want to talk about someone who's fighting for us in the Republic in the den of Satan himself? This is the man doing it every day. We just did an interview this last week. If you've not heard it, he's on fire and he's going to bring fire today. So Ivan, come on up because I want to do something before we start here. I, I, I tell you, I tell you right now, I'm not going to reveal that other secret. That's now I'm going to do it. He actually drove a Tesla here. I told him we have to seek for repentance on that, but that's all good. <laughs> Bring it on, Scott. Bring it on. All right. I want everybody to stand up and lift our hands here. We're going to pray on this man because this is truly, I'm going to tell you the word we've got right here on this already, is this is a man that needs the power and strength of all the armor that God can bring. 
because he's literally, and I'm not kidding you folks, he's every single day dealing with these Satanist turds that are walking in DC. And it's like, I said the other day, it's like, man, you finish a day, you're gonna have to shower the poo off you. And he literally has to, but he's fighting like nobody I've ever seen fight. And he is, he takes no prisoners. So Father God, as we start this speech today and talk this talk and he shares his heart, we ask most of all, as you can strengthen his armor. And our, our, our declaration today for Ivan is that when he leaves here, his armor is built to the mightiness of, of the war angels to step back into that fight, to get into the trenches and to know that he has the Holy Spirit with him. He's empowered from head to toe and toe to head, that he will be fearless as he goes forward, even confronting the darkest of dark. Furthermore, Father, we declare that we stand with him in this fight, that we are here to pray with him, pray for him, pray over him, and to remind any of the darkness that the children of the Most High have now sent forward a warrior into the trenches to continue to fight mightily for this kingdom, fight mightily for this republic and to fight mightily for your for your children so father bless him in his quest keep him strong and may our prayers be heard into heaven and we say these things in christ jesus name amen thank you scott okay if, uh, there's kids we've got the kids camp started and we've also got a great thing going with Corey terry on medic training so kids there that way follow the leader there you go there you go fire it up all right, let's go. Thank you, Scott, for that. So as he said, I like to say currently I'm a light coat Christian, baptized at birth basically, but those coats keep coming, especially with folks like Scott Kesperson. Round of applause for him for doing what he's doing. Thank you, sir. And I think I got quite a bit of time, right? I got about 45 minutes. So here's what I want to focus in on. First off, I want to ask by a show of hands, who has ever heard of the work that I've been working on since January of this year? So maybe a little about half of you, maybe more. For those that are not familiar with my work, what I want to do with this story arc over the next 45 minutes or so is to really focus on four verses in scriptures. Many of you here probably know it. Some of you that are watching in may not. And I want to focus in on John 8, 32, Isaiah 6, 8, Leviticus 24, 19 to 20, and Luke 17, 2. I'm going to incorporate those, and essentially, that has been my guiding principle, those four script verses, to essentially motivate me in what I've been doing since the illegally conducted and illegally certified election from 2020. So, what does that mean? Well, the first one, John 8, 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, set you free. So those political hostages currently sitting and rotting in the D.C. gulag and other areas of this country, they're sitting there rotting because they sought the truth. But we need to expose the truth to the rest of the nation. Because right now, because of the manipulated, curated, lies that have been pushed down our throats and our brains throughout social media with this illegitimate lawless executive branch currently occupying our nation, we need to continue to repel the lies that they've pushed into our brains, again, through big tech, big media, and oh, by the way, if you haven't listened to my interview that I did with Scott, we go into excruciating detail 
probably the best interview I have done on the topic of the illegal 2020 election, January 6th, and then the subsequent cover-ups, right? So because of my background, I've been fortunate enough and blessed to be able to serve 25 years in our national security ecosystem, having spent time with other warriors actually that are out here. Doc Chambers, who, who knows of Doc Chambers? All right, round of applause. Where is he at? Is he over here somewhere? There he is. So over the course of my 25 year career, I've have had an opportunity to serve as a tactical operations and strategic intelligence officer, multi-disciplines, and had the opportunity to lead at the detachment level, company level, and serve alongside someone that I look up to massively, a doctor, retired Green Beret, Lieutenant Colonel. I happened to slip through the cracks and also achieve that rank before I retired, so. <laughs> Served with him in the Middle East countering ISIS. Also having opportunity before that countering Taliban, MS-13, and then domestically serving with him uh, in the Texas National Guard while we had the uh, Hurricane Harvey. So I've had an opportunity over a quarter of a century to participate in conducting U.S. foreign policy, countering our threats, the foreign threats, also domestically in Texas against our, I guess, hurricanes, if you will. But now I feel as though I've been called to expose the truth to be able to identify our domestic enemies so that they meet consequences to the maximal level based on what they've conducted on us as a society and specifically our children. So what does that look like? Well, I happen to say to myself, all right, I'm gonna retire so that my First Amendment can now be fully intact and I can start to write a Substack series, go on podcasts like Bards FM and other platforms, and essentially expose using the background that I've been able to accumulate over the last 25 years to identify, assess by name, date, time, location, and transgression of each individual deep state actor. Not just the nebulous, this is the deep state. Not just, oh, it's the DOJ, it's the DOD, it's the DHS that's censoring us or forcing emergency use authorized products into our body. It's more than that. We need to take it to the next level of truth. And that is which section of the FBI national security branch, which individuals that work or worked in that particular section, which part of the foreign influence task force of the FBI? What about the Department of Justice National Security Division? What about the J Department of Justice US Attorney? What are they doing to manipulate in order to achieve their unlawful objectives that we need to shine light on so that we can expose that to the entire country. And once the country hears what they're doing, not over 90% of society is gonna look at that and say, you know what? That's illegal, that is immoral, that is unethical, and now we need to do something about it, which leads to Isaiah 6, 8, which, sa which says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And that refers to all of us. As you learn the truth, 
As you learn what they did to us with the COVID, some people call it COVID con. I like the term, the Chinese Communist Party lab incident that was funded by Fraudchi, right? Anthony Fraudchi, and then the subsequent second and third order effects of what took place. Meaning, if you, if you believe their numbers, the Wuhan Institute of Virology ultimately murdered over 1 million Americans. Name one time in history that that many Americans have been murdered. I can't think of a time. And then downstream from that, what did we see? Big Pharma headed up by the Coronavirus Task Force in the White House, headed up by, by the way, who was Anthony Fauci's boss on that White House Coronavirus Task Force? Failed, failed Vice President Mike Pence, someone said? Yes, I hear boo. What other words would you use for him? Oh, but if you say that word, if you say the word traitor about Mikey P, the beloved DOJ, and the FBI, and the DHS, what are they going to say about, what are the courts going to say about you? Our uniparty beloved one, you can't call them names like that, because if you do, we're coming for you. Guess what? We're coming for you. That's how it works, because there are more of us than there are of these scum over at DOJ, DHS, and DOD that are promulgating these unlawful, unconstitutional actions, and we're going to conduct the biggest body check against this illegitimate and lawless executive branch in the next few months. So you're on notice. So let's take a look. Let's go into a little bit of detail on what they've done to us. There you and I were, March of 2020. America's flourishing. Economy's booming. Right? Things are smooth, normal. There is no proxy fake war that provides 10% for the big guy, right? Ukraine. So what happens? When you looked at the different rally, uh, political season starts to pick up, right? March of 2020, the Democrat Party is, is holding their primaries. The Republicans are holding their primaries. By the way, a little quick pause here. So as I'm driving here in my, in the best made vehicle ever in the history of humanity, <laughs> as I'm with my son, Gregory, where are you at, Gregory? He's probably at the little kids' camp. He asked me, Dad, are we going to a Republican campground? And I said, no, sir. We are amongst patriots. That is a massive difference, okay? Massive difference. So, while these two political parties are doing their little primaries in 2020, what happens? All of a sudden, the guy that they wanted to anoint to be the caretaker of the uniparty is what? He's not doing so hot. We still don't even know if he won the primary in Iowa back in 2020, right? Still no results. So what do they need to do? Activate Anthony Fraudchi. Go ahead and do the release. And then go ahead and shut down our economy so that no one can see what is going on. They just focus on fear-mongering. The numbers start piling on Commie News Network. 
MS, right? The mainstream networks, the Washington Compost, the New York Slimes, the raw sewage, the Roy Tards. Remember the British outlet that promulgates this information? Pronounced Roy Tards. I believe some people still mispronounce it as Reuters. Okay. Anyway, they're all collectively promulgating that what's going on with this CCP-19 lab incident is real. And so they start to manipulate everything. And who's, who's working with them? Well, let, me, let me contextualize. So we have Twitter 1.0. The number two lawyer at Twitter 1.0 is a guy by the name of Jim Baker, who used to be, before he became the attorney there during that censorship scheme starting in March and even before, actually 2018, before that election, he used to be the general counsel at the FBI. The same dude that signed off on the Pfizer, excuse me, the illegal spying on a, a presidential campaign by defrauding the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to spy on a Navy veteran, Carter Page, to then be able to conduct what's known as three hops. So if I'm talking to someone as Carter Page and I communicate with someone and that person communicates with someone else and that other person communicates with a candidate for president, the FBI is now in a position to scoop up all of those communications to create the necessary leverage so that they can attempt to blackmail or coerce the entire thing. So the same individual that was authorizing that illegal conduct is now censoring you and me from seeing that the horse dewormer is actually pretty safe and effective, right? Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine is kind of safe and effective. But if you were to say that on Twitter, LinkedIn, Insta garbage, fake book, commie tube. Well, guess what? You're silenced. And if you do it one too many times, then you're canceled. You're censored. You're thrown off the platforms. Meanwhile, some of us have hundreds of thousands, millions of people that trusted our information and content. And these guys are in direct contravention with Isaiah 6, 8. They're not about the truth because the truth is going to expose them for who they are. It is not follow the science for them. It is follow the science, but imagine, how do you spell science, right? Letter S, imagine that's a dollar sign. The letter C is a cent sign, and the E in the science is the euro sign, which means follow the money. All right. So what do I do? Let's take a peek. So we have the official fact checker of Twitter is an organization by the name of Reutards. Okay? Don't get me for mispronunciation, folks. Remember disinformation, misinformation, malinformation? And now they might come after us for mispronunciation. Well, I'm going to come after them for mispronunciation. So anyway, Roy Tards is the official fact checker for Twitter. Well, let's, remember we talked about earlier a couple minutes ago. I don't want to know deep state by organization. I want to know deep state by name, individual precision. 
So who is the CEO of Roytards? Hmm. Happens to be the same dude, one of two people that sits on the board of the number one DNA mutilation distributor, some people call it the clot shot company, right? Or the heart exploding company known as the Pfizer fail. Stay with me, stay with me. So the official fact checker for Twitter, that CEO is also on the board of Pfizer. So imagine I am that person and I'm thinking to myself, how do I make money hand over fist? Well, I'm gonna go ahead and tell through my official fact-checking capability on Twitter, anybody that says my emergency use authorized product, we'll call it safe and effective. And then anybody that says it's not safe and effective, I am going to leverage the fake, the Chinese Communist Party ambassador to the United States that's squatting in our White House right now by the name of Biden, I'm gonna tell him, go ahead and use your levers of influence, and we're gonna use our levers of influence. And oh, by the way, Kamala Harris, a lot of your staff and the comms team that you had also worked at Twitter. Why don't you reactivate that network and make sure that Ivan Raiklin is number 18 on the most censored list on Twitter so that his content is not seen by hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. And that's just, I'm like, I'm nobody on Twitter. But there are a lot of other people that are, ooh, I'm making my, you know, I'm making a living on making content, so I'm gonna self-censor. So what are they doing? They're forcing people from get, stopping people from getting the truth out on these platforms. And it starts with Twitter, but guess what? If you're the former general counsel at the FBI, and now you're the number two lawyer at Twitter, and you are working with the San Francisco field office of the FBI with the names of Elvis Chan, who, by the way, just testified behind closed doors yesterday before the weaponization committee about his role in the censorship scheme and whether or not he's a Chinese Communist Party agent. We'll find that out. And then your boss, who's the head of counterintelligence at the FBI field office in San Francisco, who used by the name of Joseph Pientka III, who was the number two guy that was sitting with Peter Strzok trying to get General Flynn to lie or get fired. Is that a coincidence? So you got the San Francisco field office, two goons, working down the street with Twitter attorney, former FBI general counsel, and what's going on at headquarters? Brian Auten, who's the senior supervisory intelligence analyst at the Foreign Influence Task Force that was created by still the current director of the FBI. His name is Christopher Ray Epps. Heard of him? So Chris Ray Epps creates this organization and elevates the guy that was the senior intel analyst on Crossfire Hurricane, which was the operation to go ahead and spy on a presidential campaign. He is now in a position to decide who gets censored and what content will get censored. Headquarters, San Fran field office, big tech, and that's how it all played out. And now we're getting Congress to identify that, oh wait, 
That's actually true. And so they're going through their hearings. So what should we do to folks like that? Any suggestions? I think Scott Kesterson during our interview made a comment and he said something to the effect of some sort of a necklace. I can't remember the, what's the ingredient? What's it made out of? And I responded very politely when he said that that's that his, to his suggestion, I laughed and I thought to myself, yeah, let that marinate. Literally, let that marinate. <laughs> so, as they're doing to, that to us, they're murdering us through the DNA heart exploders. They're murdering us through allowing China to go ahead and provide precursors in through the drug cartels in Mexico to murder 80,000 of our children a year, in some estimates. So a million there, 80,000 here, and then what? They're promoting policies to go ahead and coerce and convince you through this social media and big tech and big media to go ahead and murder your children in the moon, womb. And if the children survive that, then they're trying to make sure that the governors of New York, legislatures in New York, and then the previous failureship in Virginia, go ahead and make sure that you can, you can murder your children at birth. And then you have folks such as the current acting fake Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. He's basically telling us, we're going to give three weeks of leave if you murder your child. They're giving an incentive to murder children. This is disgusting. And what's going on in California and some other states and jurisdictions? If the children survive all that, then they're going to use the education system to have those children mutilate themselves. So at what point, I have to ask, at what point are y'all here and watching going to actually stand up against that? They've already murdered us, friends and family. They manipulated and coerced you into believing that the DNA mutilation products were safe and effective. By a show of hands, how many knows a person that has been injured due to the face toilet by mutilating their ears, their lungs, the PCR nose rapes, and then lastly, the most important one, how many people know someone that was injured by the heart exploding injections? I mean, it's well over half this room. It's almost 90% just based on what I'm looking here. So what, at what point are you gonna say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm afraid to speak the truth because they're gonna come after me. Did you not just hear what I just said? They've already murdered your friends and family. We're the ones that have survived this. At what point do we stand up? At what point do we go ahead and create consequences? Leviticus 24, 19, 20. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. I know we're supposed to forgive, right? 
but I'm not going to forget. So what are some ideas like Scott Kesters had mentioned? I always like to, you know, so my background, retired Green Beret, also a constitutional lawyer. So the framing that I think we should focus in on is everything we do has to be legal, moral, and ethical with maximal, maximal political courage, if you will, so that this never happens again. And there are mechanisms for it. And I talk about them, and they're my musings. And this lawless and illegitimate executive branch doesn't like those ideas. Because imagine that we wake up, step up. What's going to happen to these guys? Honestly, there's going to be accountability. So let's go through what they've done in general terms. So in March of 2020, the emergency use authorized products started to become mandated. I think the short version of that is called violating the Nuremberg Code. So what happened to the good little Nazis almost 100 years ago that participated in the forced, coerced experimentation of other humans? Somebody out there I hear said hemp necklace. Not my words. I'm just... That's what I heard. Millstone. You just set me up here, ma'am. So I'm looking here. Luke 17, 2. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And, if, and what I'm referring to, for me, this is what, how I interpret it. The little ones is what they're doing to our little ones that are currently in camp. If my little guy Gregory was up here with me, if he's around, he'd be standing right here. So if you're going to come after us, okay, that's one thing. If you're going to come after our children with trying to mutilate them, guess what? My reputation is more important than your life, okay? Take that for what it's worth. So... All mammals out there, what happens when a, a threat comes after their children? What is the natural in instinct? All bets are off. All bets are off. So then what does that mean? We're coming for these scumbags. When we take over back over the levers of power in order to create a legitimate governing body at the federal, state, county, local level, this is what must happen, not what needs to happen, not what I aspire to happen. This is what needs to happen. Everybody from top down, from Mike Pence, all the way down to every single county school board level that voted to put a face toilet on a child, that's called child endangerment. That is a felony. That's called child abuse. That's called child neglect. So if you're in a school board, such as in my county in Northern Virginia, Fairfax, there's about 100,000 students. So if you're on that school board, every single instance that you've, if you were one of the voting members to force these emergency use authorized products on the children, that you forced the PCR nose rapes, and then subsequently later the injections, 
That's 100,000 instances of a felony times three at a minimum. And if there was injury attached to that, then we're talking about assault. We're talking about battery. Not to mention you being one of the probably 100,000 school board members throughout the country that are going to be defendants in Nuremberg 2.0. Who is against that? Is anybody against that? Now, who is for that? So about 100%, give or take zero. Okay, okay. Good. So there's a little bit of popular support, I see, for something like that. Now, what are they going to do to try to stop that from happening? They're already doing it. They're going to continue to try to censor. But how do we counter it? We have to continue to create content about the truth. We, we have Getter. We have Telegram. We have Truth Social. Coincidence. And then we have uh, Rumble. Who, who's never heard of Rumble? I love that. Not a single hand up. Who's never heard of Telegram? Not a single hand up. Who's never heard of Getter? Now, let's go back two and a half years. Who even heard of those platforms? They didn't exist. So that is our mechanism. In order to get to the truth, before we get to that phased approach of consequences, first and foremost, we have to bankrupt the institutions that are absolutely failing us, that didn't get it right once as it applies to the truth, okay? Reutards, I'm gonna, I'm gonna repronounce them, okay? Reutards, Washington Compost, New York Slimes, we need to make sure that everybody that we know in our networks does not consume that, bankrupts them, and if even if you have somebody that you know in current politics that is using as a information purveyor, faux news, we need to apply pressure on them to tell them, you know what, I will not support you if you go on and do an interview on those networks because those networks are destroying our country, our society, and our community because not, not only what they're doing and not because they're taking in money from the Pfizer fail, the Moderna mutilation, right? And all these other companies that are destroying our society. But in some regards, at a minimum, they're just complicit through dereliction of duty to allow, by not saying a word, to counter it. So they're complicit. Heard of conspirators, co-conspirators? That's them. They're going to face also consequences for not speaking out. Those that are currently, you, know, you hear a lot of people saying, the FBI lie. Oh, it's mostly good. The line, line agents are great. And all these other people. Guess what? I'm going to tell you this. I spent 25 years in the system. If you have not pushed back and become a whistleblower or started putting out content publicly that what's going on in the FBI, lie, DOJ, DHS, DOD, and calling out for what it is, then you are complicit. All of you. I want to introduce a couple people before I close and maybe take a couple questions. I want to make sure that I shine light on those that are making sure that they're pushing back against this lawless executive branch and the lies that they promulgate on, on us. Uh, I want to highlight, Brad, where are you at? Brad Miller. Can you come up here, sir? And then Dr. Pete Chambers. Where are you at? Start making your way up here. So let me... For those that have never heard of them, I'm sure this crowd here has heard of them, otherwise you wouldn't be here. But for those that have never heard of them that are gonna be watching, imagine this. 
Most of you that are watching are probably... I got to be careful what I say. You're watching and you're thinking to yourself, okay, got it. It makes sense now that I was coerced and manipulated into accepting these products because I trusted the system, right? But there are some of us that were critical thinkers early and we started to push back and we use the mechanisms and levers at play to be able to do so. So Doc Chambers, just to put things into strategic perspective, the white hat one, by the way. <laughs> Doc Chambers, I, I've lived with him for six months deployed. Kind of know who he is as a person. I look up to him massively, and I'm gonna explain why. This is, this is only one part of his history and apply it to, the, to his whole life. So what did he do? He, after our deployment, he did a couple other gigs, if you will, and then he became the chief medical officer for the Texas border mission to basically try to do what the federal government should be doing, and that's closing off our border from these lawless and illegitimate facilitated voters that, the, that one party wants to use to be able to do another electoral heist. In that process, he put out content to his soldiers to say, hey, I'm a doctor, I have the Hippocratic Oath, I am going to give to you information on the risks and potential benefits of accepting these products that are being manipulated, curated. We didn't know at the time that they were being manipulated by Brian Ottens of the world, the Jim Bakers, the Pientkas, the Elvis Chans, and the rest of these scum. But we thought, you know, we, did, we opened the books and we're like, wait, you can't authorize these things because they're not approved and there's not an available approved vax. So then he took it upon himself at great risk to protect the soldiers. And when he did that, the leadership that was coerced and manipulated by our FB lie through this system that I just laid out went raining down hard on him and us. They kicked out 8,000 service members. Prime example, the number one example of this is Brad Miller. 19 years, three months, nine months before achieving retirement. I, I respect you for this, by the way. I'm gonna, this is my first time seeing him in person. We've talked a lot. And I want to say this directly to you, Brad. That, and pardon my French, that took some massive balls to do it. And I fully respect you for saying, you know what? Not only am I, absolutely, that, that is a standing ovation for him. So battalion commander for the 101st Airborne Division, he says, you know what? I did the research early. This is not... As a commander, you have to assess risk. And he assessed the risk to say, you know what, this ain't for me for many reasons. And then he started to push back and now he's out there publicly pushing back against the emergency use authorized products. What did he lose? He lost probably around 50K a year, if not more, of retirement for the rest of his life. How many didn't do that? Almost all of us didn't do that. This is the shining example of what we need to do put moving forward. I get it, some of us were coerced. I mean, did you know that the individuals at the FBI, DOJ, and the scheme that I just laid out were the ones that manipulated us? I, 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 I'll be honest, 
Early on, I had plans of taking the shot because I thought, all right, once we kind of shake things out and it's safe and effective, sure, I'm going to take the shot. But that was the first attack by these scum. And some of us, unfortunately, took it. Again, not for nefarious reasons. It's because these scum forced us into believing that it was safe and effective. So these two individuals, different situations, have been at the forefront way more than me to push back. They have a more compelling story. I just kind of try to frame it, contextualize it strategically. They are the ones that need to be supported and propped up as the legal, moral, and ethical high ground truth tellers that are going to be able to push back against this lawless executive branch. So I just wanted to bring you guys up here to say massive thank you. I'm glad I'm in this fight with you. Anything you need, you know it. So Brad, Colonel, Thanks, Colonel, <laughs> Doc. <laughs> so these are the guys that we need to get behind. I'm going to let you guys revel in the, the respect of this crowd. massive respect. But most of us that are watching took the easy road. And that's why we're in the situation that we're in. Took the easy road and said, you know what? My employer forced me into this, this, and this. Okay. At what point are you going to push back? Let me re rehash. They took away your freedoms. They took away your First Amendment. And you're like, ah, it's cool. I keep my job. They took away your, they're basically almost taking away your second amendment because they put you on a list. And now you can't buy second amendment implements to be able to create consequences as per Luke 17, 2. They took away your fourth amendment, starting with Carter Page, General Flynn, and then us, I've been investigated 19 times by this illegitimate executive branch across DHS, TSA, federal air marshals fly, flew with me for 21 months, three of them surveilling me from my house to the airport, at the airport, on the plane, got off the plane, went to my destination. They conducted Fourth Amendment rape of me as I went through security because I was on their little list. Fifth Amendment, did they provide me due process by putting me on that list to allow me to explain that my First Amendment activity is always peaceful and patriotic, and it's about to only be patriotic? Okay? And so that's in the DHS territory, Department of Homeland Security. Department of Defense. I was in the reserve component. I was also a contractor uh, full-time teaching intelligence analysis and other things. So when I wasn't on my 40 hours a week teaching, when I wasn't doing my reserve duty status one week in a month, I have plenty of time to exercise my First Amendment, exposing these scum, as I partially explained here. 
Well, with somebody of my background, they're kind of scared, right? Because I'm able to identify each individual and then start to expose them because then I have people like Scott Kesterson that is able to get it out to hundreds of thousands of people to be aware of to create a little bit of pain for them, right? <laughs> Office of Secretary of Defense investigated me. Army Criminal Investigation Division. Army Reserves twice. Two defense contract companies. Defense Threat Reduction Agency. What about the DOJ? National Security Division. FBI National Security Branch. The Joint Terrorism Task Force of Northern Virginia. The Foreign Influence Task Force. How do I know these things? Because when Twitter came out with Twitter files, I was number 18 on the list. I'm kind of sad that I wasn't in the top 10, but whatever. <laughs> top 18. I'll take it. I'll take it. Because there are a lot of patriots that were above me, like my, my, Mike Lindell was just above me. General Flynn. Sidney Powell, right? Some of these other ones. So I don't think I mentioned all of them, but basically they used all their levers of power and influence to scrutinize me, my lifestyle, and probably conducted an unlawful FISA wiretap of me, of everything I've done. And what did they find? So Trump, the Department of Justice, is doing that to him. General Flynn gets that level of scrutiny from the DOJ and partially the DOD. I get even more love. <laughs> so I don't know why I haven't, I've survived to this point. Luckily, I've lived a pretty clean life <laughs> for them to not find anything. But because they've done that to me, and I've spent 25 years in the system, I'm able to do the boomerang investigation. So I identify each one of them until I find something on them. Scott mentioned it. I find dirt on every single one of them. And I think that is the first thing that we need to do. If they're going to throw shade at us, let's investigate them, expose it, delegitimize them in the court of public opinion so that we can create those consequences. So I'm going to close with this. This is the call to action. You need to be educated to the maximal level of who these individuals are, whether it's the Capitol Police Board that helped Nancy Pelosi conduct the Fedsurrection coup on January 6th, whether it's the three executive branch entities that I mentioned, DOD, DHS, DOJ, that have weaponized against us. We need to make sure that this current House of Representatives has the spine to go ahead and do the following in this order. Number one, they want to mutilate and, and, and castrate our kids. We're going to castrate the deep state. And I have the list. The list is on my substack. So once we castrate the deep state, whether it be through the funding mechanism of essentially making all of them interns and unemployed or more, I'll leave it up to your imagination. I think of Millstone, right? Or number, and then number two, once we can castrate the deep state and essentially put our people in place that have the moral, ethical, legal, and faith-based 
foundational principles in their lifestyle into our levers of power, then we can start to repel the bigger threat and adversary. And that's crushing the commies. It starts with the CCP, Russia's in there, Iran is a supporting uh, uh, country in that mix to try to take us down to our demise and then to a lesser degree, North Korea. So again, remember this phrase, castrate the deep state and crush the commies. Do I have time for one question or two? Anybody have a question? Ooh, that guy in the blue stood up first, and then you, sir. Can you come up real quick? You're saying most of Congress does not have U.S. citizenship? Dual. I don't know. I've heard one maybe does or a candidate has. I can't answer that question. You're giving me more uh, homework to do. So thank you. <laughs> Sir? How do I get a job helping you crush those commies? Yeah, baby. Well, well, well. Get on Telegram. Get on Truth. Basically, first thing we got to do is we have to, we have to bankrupt phone news. Some people pronounce it Fox, right? We have to bankrupt these information purveyors, and thankfully, Tucker is helping us do that. Thankfully, in some regards, Elon Musk, of which car I drive, is also helping us do that, even though he has subverters still in there trying to like still censor us. But we can't rely on those two individuals. We have to continue to create content on our own. You've created a platform. You have your website. You have a mechanism that can't be censored. So once they do all, if they delete us off of the internet, we still have to create these alternate platforms to get the message out. And the best way to do that is to meet in person. You can't censor me face to face, right? So short answer to your question, how do we help crush the commies and castrate the deep state? Get educated and then send, or actually send me an email, info at rakeland.com, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go into details. It just depends on where you're physically located so we can plug and play and, uh, and put foot on neck, proverbially, of these scum. Ma'am. So what can we do at the local level, at the community level? I think the biggest thing is you're about what, four foot 10, five foot two? All right, five foot three. Dynamite comes in a small package, folks, especially if you're a mama bear, okay? My recommendation to the mama bears out there is, remember back when the face toilets were being forced on us and harken back to Iowa? In Iowa, you had a couple mama bears, I think three, that stood up, went to the school board and said, you know what? Homie, don't play that. We're not going to have anything to do with this. You pull them out. Well, first thing is you call them out. 
if they don't comply to reality, to our reality, which is the truth, then you have to pull your kids out because you just don't have the leverage of, and then educate them yourselves or put them in private school, et cetera. But you need to call them out because what happened that, as a result of that? The governor, the content that was created off of the pushback at the school board as this mother was being emotional to protect her child, the whole country saw that, right? It went viral. We have a mechanism to make things go viral. So if people are transgressing in your local community, you need to confront them in person in a way that is, again, legal, moral, and ethical, but in their venue of where they have supposed power, whether it's a school board, county board. And then you make that content, push it out. And what happened as a result of that in Iowa? Governor Reynolds passed a law that banned the mask mandates, right? In New Hampshire, I got I to close with this. In New Hampshire, Governor Sununu, who's from New Hampshire? We got one right here. This guy headed up a executive council meeting with five executive council members at the state, head, state police headquarters, and they had individuals that attended that stood up, turn around, and silently protest like this. Not a peep. You can see Sununu, Chris Sununu. By the way, his dad used to be a chief of staff for the Bush criminal syndicate, George H.W. Anyhow, he's seen texting saying, hey guys, arrest those that are silently protesting. And why were they there silently protesting? They didn't want New Hampshire to accept the $26 million bribe from the CDC to force the mutilation training, the masks, the DNA mutilators, right? So you got to call people like that out. So I started to get involved in New Hampshire to call them out. This individual, the governor, I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter. When you violate our rights, we're coming for you. And so what I did was shine the light through my networks to showcase what was going on with this lawless governor. And he was forced to drop all the charges against the New Hampshire nine. I recommend you take a look at that story. And I also still challenge him for a charity boxing match at a time and place of his choosing. And you know what? I don't care. He has 40 pounds on me. He's bigger than I am. I don't care. I want to provide the biggest charity boxing match event in the history of humanity if he accepts it. And I challenge also Mike Pence to the same, Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia the same, and the Speaker of the House in Wisconsin the same, and Paul Ryan who sits on the board of Faux News the same. And you know what? I'm willing to put one hand behind my back during that charity boxing match. All at the same time. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Love you, man. I think we're going to have to start BMA, Bards Mixed Martial Arts. That's good. We'll be leading with our first ring match, cage match. Ivan Ranklin. That's good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, next person up is another true hero in our time. This is Brad Miller. Brad Miller was a he's former lieutenant colonel of the 101st Airborne Battalion. I just need to put this in context because 
In the rankings of the military, as people know, that's one of the most prestigious, most historically important positions to take in the regular army to be assigned the battalion commander of 101st Airborne. Long legacy, through World War II, the amazing fights that they had, Battle of the Bulge and so forth. Well, he's holding that legacy. He did it in a way that I don't think he ever thought he would have to or ever imagined possible. He refused to comply with the orders of the death shot and put his entire career on the line and was willing to take the sacrifice and the hit on everything he stood for. And he's now holding his oath as all soldiers need to hold. So Brad Miller. Take it. You got it. Thank you. God bless you. How long do I got? Okay, good. All right. How are we doing out there? All right. Hey, so um, as Scott said, my name is Brad Miller. Is there anybody here who is from the great state of North Carolina? Anybody from North Carolina? All right. If you're from North Carolina, stand up. Stand up. North Carolina. All right. We got one. Two with me. Okay. We got one back here. That's three. Anybody else from North Carolina? All right. So we're not, we're not representing too strong, but we can at least be loud and we can be vocal. So I'm glad you're here from North Carolina. Anybody here from Tennessee? Okay, so we got a couple from Tennessee. I live in Tennessee currently. I still consider myself a North Carolinian, wearing my North Carolina hat here, but, um, but I currently live in, in Tennessee. Drove up yesterday, happy to be here. So I met Scott, actually, personally, I met him yesterday for the first time, but... Um, Conducting an interview with him a couple of months ago, um, just a, a fantastic person, fantastic uh, Christian, a fantastic man of action. I know all of you feel the same way about Scott, and I'm just happy to be here supporting his event and happy to be here with all of you. So give yourselves a big hand. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. A little bit louder than that. A little bit louder than that. All right. So... Um, I want to start with a story, but before I start with a, with a story, I wanted to ask a question. Is there anybody here who likes to fight? Who likes to fight? Anybody here who likes to fight? If you like to fight, and you can define that however you wish, but if you like to fight, stand up. Who likes to fight? All right, if you like to fight, stand up. All right, so we got to be a little bit careful because now I'm afraid there's going to be a brawl that's going to break out at lunch, but at least now we know. Now we know who the troublemakers are that we got to keep our eyes on. Okay. So you can sit down. So, um, so just a little bit about me. I, uh, I served for 19 years in the Army. Um, as Ivan said, and then Scott alluded to, um, you know, I, I eventually resigned from the Army. I'll talk a little bit about that, but let's talk about how I got there. So in 2003, I graduated from West Point. Some of you might be familiar with that, the, uh, the military academy. And I'm going to tell you a very quick story about an experience that I had at the military academy and what I learned and how to some degree that shaped the rest of my trajectory through the army. So when I was in my third year at the military academy, um, this would have been in uh, 2000, probably the fall of 2001, but it might have been the spring of 2002. Um, there was a boxing tournament. So it was an open boxing tournament. Any cadet could... Uh, you know, could participate. You sign up, you know, whatever weight class is yours, you're in, the, uh, you're in the boxing tournament. So I wasn't a great boxer, but I was, you know, fairly good athlete. Um, 
I wanted to participate in the boxing tournament. I didn't think I was going to win or anything, but hey, you know, I grew up wrestling. I've competed a little bit in wrestling growing up, a little bit in boxing, a little bit in jujitsu. Regardless of the sport, I've won some matches and I've lost some matches. It is what it is. So uh, in the semifinal round of this boxing tournament, my junior year, just an intramural tournament, you know, kind of cadets against cadets, um, it's, the, it's the semifinals match. And I mean, you know, blood going this way, teeth going that way. I'm just kidding. I'm being a little bit dramatic. But um, the, uh, the fight ends. I'm on the losing end of the fight. It's a single elimination tournament, okay? So this was the semifinals match. I do not progress to the finals. Uh, the guy who beat me, who was very good, he goes to the finals. He's going to have to fight a guy who is even much better. The, the guy on the other side of the bracket is the guy that nobody wanted to fight. Um, so the two of them are going to fight. I'm out of the tournament. I am, you know, excited to actually see the two of them fight. And then the guy who beat me in the semifinals uh, gets in trouble. West Point, you know, strict school. So he gets in trouble, nothing to do with boxing at all. He is unable to, uh, to fight in the finals match. I get a phone call from the guys putting on the, uh, the match or the, the, you know, the tournament. So I get a phone call from this army captain. I'm just a cadet. Hey, Miller, you know, so-and-so's out of the tournament. You know, you lost to him in the semifinals. You can take this match and fight in the finals. All right. This is the part of the story I don't like to tell. So I didn't take the match. So, um, so I said, hey, that's kind of weird because now I'm progressing forward in the tournament on a technicality when I lost the fight. So I decline. This is a, via a phone call. And I can tell that the captain on the other end is like disappointed, but he's like, okay. I mean, you don't, you don't want to fight? Like, okay. So I don't take the match. And Later on, you know, as time progresses, I start thinking back on that, and I'm like, well, why didn't I take the match? Yeah, it's a little bit weird that on a, on a pure technicality, I get to progress forward in the tournament, but what's the worst that would have happened? Now, there was a 99 out of 100% chance that I was going to lose and probably lose badly, and the, the 1 out of 100 would have been if he had tripped over his own shoelaces and fallen out of the ring, you know? Um, but that's how life is sometimes. When I entered the tournament, I knew that at some point I might fight that dude, you know? So I was willing to fight him then, but then after I think that I'm in the tournament, when somehow I get this chance to fight him and I decline it. So anyway, so this was 20 some odd years ago, but sometimes I kind of reflect back on that, um, you know, that, that experience. And I think back to that experience, well, yeah, I probably wasn't going to win. It was probably, you know, but what I, I could have at least taken the fight. Um, and so since then, when there have been other times throughout my life or throughout my army career, I've thought to myself, hey, you know what? Sometimes being in the fight and sometimes even just kind of looking for a fight is a good thing to do. Now, I'm not advocating fighting here for no reason. I am very much advocating fighting when there is a reason to do so. But you got to make sure you're in the right fight. So... So I, I spent a large part of my, uh, of my career with a lot of people that, sad to say, kind of turned out to be in the wrong fight. They were very good fighters, but they were in the wrong fight. And when I say that, if it sounds like I'm condemning other people, first and foremost, I want to say, hey, listen, we've all, we've all made mistakes. We have all been 
cowards at one point or another, all of us. You know, everyone here is a sinner, nobody's perfect. And yes, sometimes we're afraid and sometimes we make decisions based on that fear. But that does not have to be a terminal condition. You know, you can cultivate your own bravery. So when I look at how you guys, I see people who are brave, I see people who are courageous. You know, I listen to Ivan talking about what he's doing, standing up against, uh, you know, the behemoth and not backing down when the majority of people are backing down. So as I move through my career in the army, I work with a lot of tremendous people. I work for a lot of tremendous people. And then we get to a point where I feel like we are in the most important fight of our entire careers. And I got to a point where I felt like I was looking to my left and my right, and I didn't see a whole lot of people standing next to me. When it came to my peers, when I looked to my left and my right, I didn't see a lot of my peers standing next to me. So I get out of the army, you know, I resigned. In the, the, the quick story there is, um, and Scott kind of mentioned this. So in, uh, in the summer of 2021, uh, I had the honor and the privilege, which I do consider it both, to take command of a battalion within the 101st Airborne Division, which is a very storied division um, in the history of the United States military. So, you know, it's featured in anybody who's watching, you know, Band of Brothers, you know, 101st prominently featured. Uh, it's even featured in, um, you know, Saving Private Ryan, but just a, this storied division I was very proud to have that be part of my legacy and for me to be part of the 101st legacy. So I was very proud to take command of a battalion. This was in the summer of 2021, uh, June 10th, 2021 to be exact. Well, I will tell you on the day that I took command, I knew that I would be fired from command. I knew that. On the day I took command, I knew that I was gonna be a short timer in command because even though the unlawful VAX mandate had not been yet implemented, it would be implemented about two and a half months later, but we knew it was coming. The writing was on the wall, and I knew at my change of command ceremony, when I took command, I knew I will not be in this position for the duration of my command, which should be a two-year assignment. I was in command for four and a half months. But I, but I said, and I'll tell you, in a moment of weakness before I took command, I actually considered declining command. I actually considered declining and saying, hey, don't give me command because you're going to end up firing me. That's not going to be great for me or my self-esteem, but it's also going to be extremely disruptive to the unit to get used to a new commander. And then in short order, he gets removed, you know, fired, and then you got to bring a new guy in and the unit has to get used to that commander. So... In a moment of weakness, leading up to, the, uh, to my ceremony in which I took command, I remember kind of having this internal debate with myself. And then I finally said, no, you know what? You know what? I'm going to make them fire a battalion commander. Now, they did. I mean, they called my bluff, right? Um, but I said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to see this through, and whatever happens, happens. And somewhere along the way, in the four and a half months that I was in command, I just had to realize that, you know what? All these things that normally become the benchmark of what is considered to be a, uh, a successful battalion commander, none of that's gonna apply to me because my entire command, when anybody looks back on it, myself included, my entire command is gonna be reduced down to the fact that I didn't go along with this mandate and I got fired for it, which I'm very proud of, by the way. So whatever I did or did not do during that four-month period, 
you know, nobody's going to remember my entire command, but in reality, my entire 19 career, 19 year career is going to be reduced down to that one decision. So let me tell you, and this is, this is much more about, um, this is not so much about me. So I kind of want to tell this quickly and move on because it's not so much about me as it is about um, people who are still in this fight and people who are still fighting. So on the day that I got pulled out of command, I went and met my, uh, my direct boss. So as a battalion commander, my direct boss is the brigade commander. I was a lieutenant colonel. He was a colonel. And I knew it was coming. I knew I was going to be fired, you know, at some point. And uh, he texts me one morning and he says, hey, I've been told I got to pull you out of command today. This was a Friday. And uh, so I went to his office at the end of the day and uh, I was pulled out of command. And I remember leaving his office and walking back to my car and just thinking, uh, mixed emotions, but what were those two emotions? One was, man, I can't believe that this has happened. You know, at that point, kind of 18 and a half years of my career, I was a battalion commander. I was doing well in my career. And now that is all over. But coupled with that emotion was kind of relief that, okay, you know what? I made it through. And then um, I, I, I made through on this decision that I was called upon to make. And I did, you know, I did it. I was very proud of myself. Um, and, and I allowed myself to feel, you know, proud of myself because, um, you know, not, not a lot of people did that. And I'm not here to say that I am the greatest military officer that has ever put on the uniform. I'm not here to say that. I'm here to say that I think I was a good military officer. But what I am here to say is that in that moment, when the vast majority of people got it wrong, there were a few people who, who got it right. And I'm glad that I was one of them, but also that I've gotten to meet a couple others that are... Um, that are the ones that when I look to my left and my right, I see people standing next to me. You know, Ivan's one of them. Pete Chambers is another. And then let me tell you about another who's not here, but uh, you should know who he is and you should know about his book. So there's another guy that I consider a friend, even though I've, I've never met him in person. Um, He's an officer in the Navy. He's a commander in the Navy, which is the same rank that I was. It's equivalent to a lieutenant colonel in the Army. And his name is Rob Green. And he wrote a, he is still serving in the Navy, but he wrote a fantastic book. We've got some copies of it. I'm here to, you know, plug his book for him since he, he couldn't make it. But uh, his book is very appropriately called Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. And the subtitle... The subtitle is A Story of Hope for Those Who Love Liberty. So what I want you to know, and, and look this book up. We've got some copies back there, but again, the book is called Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. His name is Rob Green. He is a, uh, still currently in uniform, uh, a very devout Christian, a fantastic individual, uh, a fantastic military officer. He embodies exactly what we expect in those who, uh, who serve in uniform. And he has done an interview with, uh, with Scott before. But my point in sharing that is, um, when we look at what's being done to our military, our military was long viewed as the, the bastion of conservative and Republican, with a small r, in a lowercase r, but Republican values upon which our nation was founded. 
And it's clear to me, and I believe it's probably clear to many of you, that one way in which our nation has been attacked is by attacking the military. And it's not just to knock out the way in which our uh, military would defend the homeland. That's certainly part of it. But it goes deeper than that. You know, it's, it's cultural. It's attacking the ethos of what we as Americans consider ourselves to be. You got to remember that we are a nation born of war. And I think most Americans are proud of that. Now that can be taken too far for sure, but you know, we view ourselves as having been born of this struggle against tyranny. And now what happens as we move forward through the centuries, unfortunately we find ourselves in a struggle against tyranny again. And a lot of those who should be protecting us from that tyranny are actually the ones you know, executing the tyranny against us. And so it reminds me of, um, you know, the, uh, the verse in Ephesians for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And one of the themes that we've talked about here and that we're going to talk about today is when we talk about war and we talk about spiritual war, one thing that I've learned, and I, yeah, I mean, I came from a family that uh, was, you know, we would go to church every Sunday. So I mean, that's kind of been something that I've done for most of my life, right? But I will tell you that my understanding of what's going on, what I think is really going on in the last couple of years, um, has grown a ton. And so when we speak of spiritual warfare, we're not speaking in abstractions and we're not speaking metaphorically. In fact, if anything, the spiritual warfare is a better, more real example of war than physical or kinetic warfare is, you know, that we typically think about, right? And um, there's a term that I came across a couple years ago that I think is exactly what we are facing now. And I really like the term. It came from the Germans. And uh, they got this big, long German word that I'm not going to even pretend to try and pronounce. But uh, in English, that German word means worldview warfare. And I think that that appropriately defines the struggle that we find ourselves in right now. Because I will tell you, when I talk to people, even good friends of mine, you know, peers of mine in the military, one of the things that I realize is these individuals are operating on a flawed paradigm of the way the world works, or it is woefully incomplete. So for me, when I try and figure out, well, what exactly is my worldview? Or, you know, simply stated, how do I view the world? What do I believe about the way that the world truly works? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I believe in God. You know, I mean, I am a Christian and I'm not here to tell you I'm perfect or that I'm not a sinner or anything, but I do believe that. That's first and foremost in my worldview. Now, I also believe um, that evil exists and that we are very much in a struggle against evil. Now, where my worldview has become refined in the last couple of years is, um, I don't believe that evil fights God because I don't believe that evil can fight God. Evil fights us. So it may, you could say maybe it indirectly fights God by fighting us, but evil is no risk to God, but it's very much a risk to us. We very much fight against evil. And when we say that we're in a fight against evil, again, this is not some abstraction. This is very real. And, and I think it goes far beyond, um, you know, when you feel tempted, to, you know, you lose your temper and you yell at somebody and then later you say, oh, I was tempted or, you know, the devil made me do it. I think it goes far, far, far beyond that. We are in a very real war and a lot of people, they don't necessarily recognize it. 
So what I think that we have to do, those of us that I think are starting to recognize this, first and foremost, you know, we got to look at ourselves and make sure that we are appropriately armed for the war that we're in and that we're not armed for a war that is not the war that we're in. It's like looking for a fight but being in the wrong fight or looking for a fight with the wrong people. And like I said at the very beginning of this, sometimes you have to go looking for a fight or sometimes a fight comes to you and you have to be willing to engage in that fight. I'm not talking about violence, but what I am talking about is we have to stand up and fight against evil because I personally believe that if we do not do that, then we too are complicit. If we allow evil to come to our doorstep and we don't do anything about it, then we have basically joined hands with that evil. And I'm not gonna do that. Uh, one thing that I encourage other people to do, and I'm just one person just trying to do my, my small part, and there are plenty of things that I get wrong, and I'm not a, a perfect person uh, or even a great person by any means, but I do believe in being a man of action. And, and I would rather, you know, regret maybe being a little bit too passionate, running a little bit too fast, fighting a little bit too hard than the opposite, than not doing enough. And unfortunately, you know, I see a lot of people, you know, that I used to respect, and, and maybe I still do respect to some degree, but they're the people that I thought would be with us in this fight, and they're not. Now, they can be, and we can encourage them. Like I said, you know, being a coward or being on the wrong side, those are not terminal conditions. We've all been, every single one of us, there are times in our lives in which we have to admit to ourselves we have been cowards. All of us have to admit that. It's not a terminal condition. You know, and you can, you can cultivate bravery in yourself, but to be brave, you gotta do brave things. And unfortunately, the unfortunate reality that I have seen over the last couple of years is, you know, everyone wants to be the hero until it's time to be the hero. Everyone wants to be the hero until it's time to do, you know, heroic things. Everyone wants to be in the battle until the battle is at your doorstep and then everyone wants somebody else to fight the battle, you know? Well, we gotta be the ones to fight the battle. We can't stop looking, or we, gotta, we gotta stop looking at other people to fight the battle that we find ourselves in. So, I mean, a couple of years ago, who thought that we would be here? I mean, I didn't, I didn't think that I would be out of the army that I would have been, um, you know, fired from my command. And just to finish the story on that, so, so I was relieved of command. I was one of only two active duty battalion commanders in the entire army. I don't know how many battalions are in the army, but it's, I mean, it's a couple hundred. So I was one of only two active duty battalion commanders in the army that was fired for not going along with the VAX mandate. And then once I realized that DOD was not gonna uh, back away from this, they were not gonna come to their senses, that's when I decided to walk away because I said, hey, listen, I, I can't be a part of this. And I recognize that this is much bigger than just the, uh, you know, the COVID shot. It's much, much, much bigger. And I can't be a part of it. In fact, not only can I not be a part of it, but I have to actively fight against it. And so I decided, as paradoxical as it may seem, I am going to have to take off the uniform in order to remain loyal to my oath to the Constitution. I'm going to have to take off the uniform. 
Again, as paradoxical as that may seem, in order to maintain my loyalty to the country, because I mean, I do consider myself a patriot. And, um, but when I view patriotism, I look at patriotism the same way that Mark Twain looks at patriotism. So Mark Twain said, you know, patriotism is supporting your country, always supporting your government when it deserves it, you know? And I think that we have to make that distinction very clear. There is a, a clear line of separation and a clear distinction between the government and the country. You know, we're, we're the country. The, the, the country is, and this is just my definition, but it's the, the sum total of the people and the customs and the history and the land. You know, that's what a country is. A country is not, in our case, the, uh, you know, the, the, the buildings and the people in D.C., that's not what our country is. And in reality, those could be people who are actively fighting against the country. And I think to some degree, that's what's, that's what's happening now. So the real question is, you know, what are we going to do about it? And I mean, we, we have to ask ourselves that question. Well, what are we going to do about it? So, you know, I mentioned worldview a couple of minutes ago, right? I still think that a lot of people, now nobody here, none of us, is perfect, none of us has a perfect worldview, none of us has a perfect understanding of what's going on, that's true. But some of us may have a much clearer picture than other people. And so I do think that we've gotta, we gotta coach other people along, we gotta bring people along, we gotta bring them into the fold. Now I will tell you, you know, when you go to a school like West Point, or you spend a lot of time in the Army, if there's one thing that the Army tries to teach you, it's leadership, and we are, the leaders. The leaders are not those that are necessarily um, standing at the forefront of the nation, you know, pretending to be leaders. I mean, it's us. It's literal grassroots movements like this that are setting examples for real Americans that believe in real core American values that want to do real core American things. You guys are the true leaders of the country right now. You guys are the true leaders. And so what I think that means is for us, nobody cares about a leader who can make the right decision when making the right decision is easy. That's not, that's not what defines a great leader. Nobody cares. Nobody cares who can do the right thing when it's very clear as to what the right decision is. And there's no cost associated with that. The true leaders define themselves when it's hard, when there's incomplete information, when it's not exactly clear as to what should be done or it's very difficult to do so, and it may come at great cost. So one of the things that I hope to do as a commander with my, um, you know, with my subordinates, and I had about 550 people in my battalion, um, I, I told them when I first took command, I said, I'm not gonna tell anybody to take this shot, and I don't care if you don't wanna take it, it's, it's up to you. You take it, you don't take it, up to you. I'm not gonna pressure you in, in any way and if you're curious what my personal opinion is about it, just come see me. Come talk to me about it. Come see me in my office, anybody, and we'll talk about it. And I had very, very junior soldiers come to me in tears because they were feeling pressure to take the shot and they didn't want to take it. And I will tell you, and for some of, some of you who might be, uh, might be familiar with the military, I mean, I, I like to consider myself a pretty approachable guy. I think I'm a pretty cool guy. But I will tell you, regardless of how cool you are, when you're the battalion commander, no junior soldier 
wants to freely go visit the battalion commander, even for, even for a, good, a good reason, right? But I'm telling you is that I would have junior soldiers, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old soldiers come seek me out in my office one-on-one -on -one in tears because they felt like they were being pressured. And I was in a situation where the only thing I could really do was lead by example and show them, you know, hey, I'm not going to take it. And you can at least watch me not take it. But here's what I can't do. Like, I can't absolve you of the consequences of what's going to happen if you, if you don't go along with this. I can't even absolve myself. You know, and of course, they saw that their battalion commander got fired and then, you know, left the army. But that's not necessarily the point. What I hope to show, and I, I didn't overtly tell them this, but what I hope to show through my example was you do not have to comply with tyranny. There is... There is another option. You don't have to comply. Now that other option may be uncomfortable. It may come at great cost. There may be loss involved, but there is another option. And I will tell you, now again, and, and I, I didn't explain that. There are a lot of things that I would explain to my battalion overtly. I never told them that in those exact words, but what I did try to tell them was, um, I am not going to order you to do this against your will. I don't care what kind of pressure is coming from the top. That stops with me. I'm not going to pass that pressure on down. And now we know just, you know, the order was unlawful. I mean, just the whole thing is just, many of you are already aware of this. And if you're not, if you're not aware of um, exactly why the mandate was so dangerous to the military. Again, I have to say, read this book. This is probably the greatest description as to um, the real circumstances surrounding the vax mandate. And that vax mandate in the military didn't just affect the military. It kind of opened the door for this tyranny to affect the entire country. So who needs to read that book? Anybody who's in the military, anybody who was ever in the military, anybody who knows somebody who's in the military, anybody who's ever watched a military movie, you know, anybody who ever played army as a kid? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> if you've ever played army as a kid, you probably need to, uh, to you know, to, to read this book. But this is the fight that we're in. Um, and again, when we speak about spiritual warfare, we're not speaking metaphorically. I think that's, that's one of the realizations that I've come to, because uh, we kind of use that type of language forever, right? I mean, I grew up kind of hearing that language like, oh, you know, spiritual warfare, et cetera. But again, the acknowledgement that I've come to over the last couple of years is that's not metaphorical language. We are not speaking in abstractions. This is a very real war with very real casualties. And there are some people who become wounded in this war and they recover. There are people in this war who defect and switch sides. You know, that happens. So all the features that we think of in warfare are extant in this spiritual warfare as well. There's intelligence gathering. There is deception. There is so much deception. That's another thing that I feel like I've come to realize. You know, I, I thought I, as a military officer, I thought I understood deception. And then just what we've seen over the last couple of years just takes it to a whole new level. Um, one of the courses that I had that I was able to attend in the army 
Um, I attended a course for a year. It was called uh, the School of Advanced Military Studies. We, we call it SAMS, the acronym SAMS, School of Advanced Military Studies. And I was there for, I was there for a year right before I took battalion command um, with all of these cerebral thinkers in the Army. And this is, uh, I was there from the summer between 2020 to 2021. So, you know, what I call the COVID op. The COVID op was in full force. And I look at all of these admittedly smart people, these cerebral thinkers who get paid by the army to have this strategic ability to kind of survey the environment, understand the, uh, the dynamic interplay between different variables and then make an assessment on what decisions they should pursue going forward. And I looked at a lot of people who seemed incapable of doing that. They could, they'd been taught to do that their entire army careers. And then for whatever reason, in a war that does not look like the wars that they have pictured in their mind because they've been on numerous deployments, they've studied warfare, and now they're in a war that looks a lot different. Everything still applies. All the tenets of warfare are still there. They're just manifested a little bit differently. And they either A, don't realize they're in a war, or they vastly underestimate the significance and the gravitas of the war that they're in. And that's what we're seeing. And so that's where I say to you guys, you know, you guys are the leaders in this war. You guys are the generals in this war, which is the real war. You know, the spiritual warfare is the real war. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to finish up. I'm going to tell one more story. I'm going to finish up and then, uh, and then I'll, I'll take a couple of questions because I'm, I'm interested in kind of some interaction with you guys and maybe you guys will have some, some interesting comments or questions. So uh, I served 19 years, three months, and 15 days on, uh, on active service. And um, sometimes I'll do interviews with people and sometimes they will refer to me as retired or they'll refer to me as Lieutenant Colonel, and, and sometimes I kind of gently correct him because I'll say, well, I'm not, I'm not retired. Technically, I didn't, uh, I didn't retain the rank because I didn't retire. And here's why that's significant. One, you know, I don't want to misattribute a rank to myself that I don't still maintain. But here's another more important reason. Don't take my resignation away from me. I mean, I walked. I walked. And I'm proud of that, you know? So I, um, I have a Substack that I opened up a couple of months ago. You guys can go look for it. I write on there. It's just my name. So it's Brad Miller 10, Brad Miller 10.substack.com. You guys can find it now. I'll wait. I'm just kidding. But, um, but uh, I decided that I was going to put out a little Substack uh, in May. So in May, I would have hit 20 years. That's when I would have qualified for my retirement. So I wrote a Substack piece that was called um, 20 year review. And I was going to look at the entirety of my career, plus, you know, the eight or nine months post getting out of the army. It's kind of a 20 year view of my whole career. I think I called it, I think I called it 20 year view or, or 20 year assessment. It's on my Substack, but in doing so, I shared as part of that Substack my, uh, my cadet photo. So it's, it's the photo from the yearbook. So the West Point yearbook that's produced every year is called the Howitzer. And, um, so I shared my, my photo for my senior year at West Point, and beneath the photo, 
I had a very well-known scripture. Many of you are um, probably familiar with it. It comes from 2 Timothy, but it's, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And so, I mean, it's a great scripture. It's a great scripture. But I was, but I was looking at this 20 years after having uh, placed that in the yearbook, and I had to kind of chuckle to myself because I'm looking at me 20 years ago in the photo with this caption beneath that I have, uh, you know, expropriated shamelessly from Paul. And, um, and I say to myself, what was I even talking? I mean, I had no idea what I was talking about with finishing the race, et cetera, because now I'm looking back 20 years later at that naive cadet staring back at me in the photo that had no idea what he was talking about. Now, when I used that scripture, of course, I meant finish the races in my, my four years at West Point, you know, which for me were hard. Um, I'm not saying I was, you know, Mr. Super Cadet. But when I look back 20 years later, I'm like, finished what race? I was just beginning the race. And oh, by the way, I didn't even necessarily know what race I was really in then. You know, the race that I thought I was in 20 years ago, when I first got out of West Point, became commissioned as a lieutenant and started in the army, is not the race that I quote unquote finished 20 years later, you know? So I just share that, that kind of comical but also interesting perspective is how we, we grow over time and our, um, our experiences shape, hopefully in a good way, where we go over time. So I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts with you guys. It's not necessarily about me. I just use my experience as an example of this fight that we're in. By no means have I gotten everything right. I'm just trying to do my small part. I am so happy and so thankful to stand shoulder to shoulder with all of you in what is the real battle. Thank you. And we do have a couple of questions. So, so again, thank you. But um, we got a couple of minutes. So I'll, I'll take a couple of questions if, if uh, somebody's got a good one. If you ask a dumb question, I'm not answering it. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Who's got a question? Okay, great. Great question. So I was, so I'm an engineer. I'm a combat engineer officer. So the battalion that I commanded was called the 21st Brigade Engineer Battalion. And it was in 3rd Brigade. Uh, 3rd Brigade of the 101st Airborne Division is a very famous brigade. It's called the Rakasans. And my battalion, being the engineer battalion in the Rakasan Brigade, was called Rock Solid, R-A-K, a shortened form of Rakasans. Now, you might ask yourself, well, what does the word Rakasans mean? So Rakasan is, this is, this is some old, you know, Army 101st, you know, Rakasan lore. Um, during the post-World War II occupation in Japan, uh, kind of the, the airborne, so... Um, airborne was just becoming a thing, you know, airborne infiltrations. This was still very, very new. And so the, uh, what was called the, the 187 Infantry Regiment, Parachute Infantry Regiment at the time, they would practice their jumps and the Japanese people would see them and they didn't quite have a word for parachute and they would call these airborne soldiers parachute falling down man, which in Japanese was rakasan. So it just became this, um, became this nickname that the soldiers kind of uh, embraced. And you know, here we are still, still using that term, Rakasans. Great question. But yeah, my battalion was called Rock Solid, the 21st Brigade Engineer Battalion. Uh, 
Next question. Who's got a question? Any question? Any question? Who's got a question? Yes, please. Um, okay, sadly, so when I took command, 80% of my battalion was already vaccinated. I remember seeing that figure on a chart. Um, when I was removed from battalion command, unfortunately, I lost a lot of contact with, uh, with members of the battalion, but I didn't lose all contact. And I will tell you, um, I would still bump into soldiers from my battalion on base. So I don't know necessarily what happened with their vaccination status, and I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. I wish I did know. I, I, I don't. But I will tell you that I did have soldiers come to me and just, uh, you know, thank me. And, and tell me how much they appreciated, um, you know, what, maybe my example, I don't know. I don't like to give myself accolades, but I will tell you that when I would run into those soldiers, um, I mean, it would, it would mean a lot when they would tell me that. And I will tell you the best compliment that I ever got um, was right after I got fired. And I was talking to a chaplain he was the division chaplain. He was a lieutenant colonel like me. And he came and he sought me out. So when you get fired as a battalion commander, your lieutenant colonel has just been fired. It's very hard to hide a former battalion commander who's just been fired. So there's only one place you can stick that lieutenant colonel, that, that errant you know, lieutenant colonel on, a, on an army base. You got to send him to the division staff to work for the general. Because at least there are enough lieutenant colonels there, maybe he can kind of hide. So now I'm on division staff as the recently relieved battalion commander. It's kind of, you know, it's a little bit awkward. Um, and this other lieutenant colonel comes to me, hey, I heard about your story. And this is, this is a very stalwart Christian chaplain. And he says to me, um, I heard about your story. He's the division chaplain. He heard about my story from the brigade chaplain. So you have a battalion the brigade is above the battalion. The division is above the, the brigade. The division chaplain had heard from one of the brigade chaplains, my brigade chaplain, about my unit. And I didn't necessarily know the brigade chaplain that well. Um, but the brigade chaplain had told the division chaplain, the division chaplain related to me, he said, that's, that's a commander who was loved by his men. So, you know, when I, when I think about my career, you know, the, uh, the accolades or the achievements that I might have amassed, there is nothing, there is nothing that comes close to receiving a compliment like that, that is being passed to me like third hand. Um, and so it's moments like that that just reassure to me that... Um, I've, I've never regretted the decision that I made. You know, I've, I've never regretted it.
Um, it was, there are certainly people who have criticized me, like, what are you doing? Like, oh, what, what are you doing? And there are people who have said, why didn't you just stall so you could at least get to your retirement? And, and I understand that. You know, I, I do. I, I, I understand that. But I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I think this is much bigger than the vax mandate. I think this is, I think this is evil. And I got to be on the other side. You know, if there's going to be evil, I got to be on the other side and I'm going to, you know, stand up against it. So, um, but yeah, but that, that one comment that I made, I mean, you guys heard me. I mean, I almost, I almost broke down just trying to even just, just remembering that, that, uh, that one comment. I mean, that, if you could sum up my entire career, you know, 19 years plus the four years at West Point, um, I would say, hey, you know, maybe I've had a pretty successful career, you know, for a guy who got fired from battalion command, you know. Okay, uh, who's got a question? We got a question over here. Yeah, this is a fantastic question. And I tell you, this is, this is what makes this whole thing so... Okay, this is the question. So the question was, you know, I mentioned before that throughout your entire Army career, and particularly at West Point, they teach you about leadership. So the question was, at West Point, what did they tell you to do when confronted with an unlawful order? And I will tell you what they tell you. And I will tell you what they tell you throughout your entire military career. They will tell you, you are not, first of all, you're not obligated to follow an unlawful order. Second of all, you are actually obligated to disobey an unlawful order, which is what makes, which is what makes this whole situation just that much worse because we have to look at our entire military education system. We got to ask ourselves, well, how did we get this so wrong? We've been teaching people ostensibly about leadership forever to include, we have been trying, at least we've, we've said this is what we're doing, inculcating values into our service members. And then, you know, I, I tell you guys a couple minutes ago how I felt like, yeah, paradoxical though it may seem, I felt like I had to take the uniform off in order for me to maintain my loyalty to the oath that I took, the oath to the constitution. I had to take the uniform off, though paradoxical it may seem, in order to feel like I was actually being patriotic, that I was demonstrating my love of country. So the, the most insidious thing here is that they teach, West Point, if nothing else, is a leader laboratory. It is. And they teach you to stand up, you know, say, you know, see something, say something. They teach you to stand up against these unlawful orders. And you will read cases in history where stuff like that has either happened or not happened. But yet in the crucial moment, unfortunately, we saw the majority of people who, uh, who went along who went along with, um, with this nonsense. But yeah, thanks, Dr. Mayor. That's a fantastic question. So, so, the, so let, let me just finish by saying, we got to go back and figure out how did this happen? We got to go back and look at our entire military apparatus because it's like, hey, great. It doesn't matter what our intelligence collection enterprises uh, consist of. It doesn't matter what our hardware and technology consists of. If we can't get the values right for our military, I mean, none of that other stuff matters because it'll be used incorrectly. It might even be used against us. 
you know? So none of that matters if the values are not correct. If you, if you don't bring values to the table, then it doesn't matter what your tactical acumen is. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Because we can't trust you to use that tactical acumen or your strategic thinking ability. We can't trust you to use that correctly if you don't bring values to the table. That's the, the problem we see ourselves in now. All right. Okay, great, great question. Um, moral injury. So what is moral injury? Everybody knows what physical injury is, right? What's moral injury? So moral injury is the fallout that occurs when you do something that is against your own moral code, when you witness somebody else do something that is against your moral code or their moral code, or you're part of an organization that does something that's against its own moral code. So I will tell you, I think the number one strategic threat that we face right now, at least vis-a-vis -vis the military, is pervasive moral injury from top to bottom throughout the entire force, you know? And I will tell you how it manifests itself. You have service members right now, some of you may know them, you have service members right now who do not trust their local unit leaders because in the moment where it mattered, their leaders made the wrong decision. They also do not trust the leaders at the top because they feel like they've been sold out. They're not even sure what side those guys are on. And then I will also tell you, so that, that is not a strategically effective fighting force. Soldiers going to work every day, potentially preparing to deploy, training, and they can't trust their own leaders, that is not an effective fighting force. But I will also tell you, there are also service members that feel disgusted about what they themselves have been a part of. That is also a manifestation of moral injury. And yes, you can be both a perpetrator of moral injury and a victim of moral injury at the same time. And I would suggest that there are many individuals that know that they are perpetrators of moral injury because of what they did to other people, but they also feel victimized because of the corner that they themselves were backed, backed into. And unfortunately, instead of fighting back, they kind of, you know, went along with it. So this is a great point to end on. So I would take that term moral injury that, um, that the VA does recognize. And I, it's not too much of a leap to go from moral injury to spiritual injury and kind of amplify it and put it into a slightly different, um, broader, more accurate context. And I would tell you, that is a great explanation of what we as a nation are suffering. But you can recover from physical injury, you can recover from moral injury, not easy, and you can recover from spiritual injury. Some of us here are probably spiritually injured and morally injured. We can recover and we can help others recover and we can help bring others to the fold. Thank you, I appreciate that. Brad Miller. Okay, so we've got just a little bit of change in schedule, and this is Holy Spirit-led, so lots of reasons, but we're gonna have Pastor Anthony up again. For those of you that weren't awake this morning, I guarantee you will be awake going forward. This is gonna get your digestion ready for lunch, which will be good. So 
Here we go, Pastor Anthony. Amen. We're going to pray here for a minute, and then God's going to release a word here. Now, I've been asked to preach on the fly, and how many know the Bible says, be ready in and out of season? What does that mean? Whether you want to or you don't. Amen? Listen, this is what happened. In the spiritual realm this morning, how many know there's a spiritual battle going on on this terrain right now? God, open your eyes right now. You would see angels all over you. You would see demonic beings that are being destroyed right now. There's also been witches cursing this event, whether you know it yet or not, trying to shut it down. And so we're going to engage right now, push in the spirit realm, and then I'm going to drop a quick uh, impromptu message to you. So stand up right now. If you have a spiritual language, I want you to begin to use it right now. Let's just begin to pray. If you don't, pray in your natural language. I want to take two or three minutes here and begin to pray. I'm going to lead this prayer, and we are ripping stuff down in the spirit realm right now. So Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we call upon your presence right now. And God, as your word said, arise, O Lord, and may your enemies be scattered. Father, we release right now the fire of the Lord, as it says, fire goes round about burning up the enemies of God. And Father, right now, we begin to release that fire right now to burn through this land and this region in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I send confusion on every witch coven right now that sent curses against Bardsfest in this meeting right now. Confusion is hitting your camp right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every curse right now is being broken in the atmosphere now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I release right now your presence to begin to move. There it is right now. Father, let a fresh measure of your glory. Let the kabod, the weight of heaven, come down now and begin to crush your enemies in your midst, O oh God, in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I thank you that there are powerful angels that are releasing weapons right now to your saints, O oh God. Just receive that right now. There's fresh weapons being distributed right now. If you need a fresh touch from God and you say, God, send an upgrade to my arsenal, just lift your hands up right now. Father, release it right now. Upgrade in the spirit realm. Upgrade of weaponry. Upgrade of wisdom, how to operate it in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Father, your word says a curse without a cause shall not alight. Every curse, you have no landing place here. Now get the hell out of here in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. That's right. We get hell out. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles up. Amen. I mean, you know, the dog senses what's going on in the spirit realm. Many times animals are more in tune than the spirit realm than people are. And he senses right now what's going on. There's a great clash right now. And do you know why? Because there's enough people that if you will begin to activate your faith, God's going to move you and Bard's Fest to the next level. Amen? Because God is very clear. It's very clear word. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. How many of you know when God shows up on the scene, every demon of hell begins to shake in their boots, amen? 
And that's what happens when you have people that are hungry and have a tenacious thirst and, uh, and hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ. He will show up, and in the spirit realm, all hell begins to break out. Amen? So I want you to go. I'm going to preach on the fly here. They said the message I had this morning, for some reason the feed shut down. How many know that's just the devil, right? He does not want a message with power and anointing to go out in the people. I want to, God just dropped this in my spirit. One of you, you're going to be listening to this message. You are knee deep in witchcraft and the occult. You've been wanting to get out. Now's your time. God has given you a short window that if you do not get out, those demonic spirits that you have been channeling are going to take you out. Now is your time. There's an escape route that's been provided. Get out as fast as you can. Father, send angels to that individual right now to draw them out of the bowels of hell itself. And God, I pray not only they would be pulled out, but God use them mightily in your kingdom. Satan's going to pay right now. He's just about ready to lose one of his best that's being transferred over into the kingdom of light. Amen? Amen. All right, I want you to jump in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Someone's going to give me the five-minute mark. Amen. I got to preach fast and fiery, but we'll let, it, let, the, uh, we'll let rounds down range. Amen. First, it says this. I want you to get the context here. Paul is in the midst of a revival. Amen. How many of you want to see a revival? When we think of revival, we think of a good feel-good meeting in the middle of our church service. That is not a revival. Amen. That may be a restoration. There may be some strength added to the church that's good. When revival hits, it's like a mighty wave that rips through everything, and it touches all sectors of society. Amen? That's why the Bible says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. That's why I love what Scott's doing. He's bringing different leaders from different sectors of society that are pushing forth and advancing the kingdom of God. Because the Bible is very clear. When revival hit before Jesus showed up and John the Baptist was there, what did he say? He said, the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. That means any time there is an advancement in the spirit realm, in the spirit realm, there's great violence that's taking place. How many have experienced that? That's why there was demonic forces released throughout our nation to shove agendas down you and I's throat, but we're not those who are willing to comply with evil, amen? Nor will we quarter evil, amen? And that's why God's raising up a group of people, but in the middle of it, you have to put on your tenacity and your strength and you have to be ready because this war will not be won without multiple fights and multiple campaigns. Amen? So I want to bring this to you. Paul is in the middle of revival and a wicked and demonic and occult-led community known as where? Corinth. How many of you know what was going on in Corinth? Anyone know? Huh? <laughs> like California. Yeah, that's, that's true. Okay? What was going on in Corinth? Californication, very similar, okay? You had wickedness. You had perversion. You had uh, massive 
evil, occult uh, operations. When you went to go worship in the temple, you slept with a temple prostitute. So we have a mix of perversion, witchcraft, evil, all put together in one lump, very similar to what we have right now. Amen. So Paul goes in and Paul is an apostle. And when you are a real apostle, you have authority to go engage spiritual beings over whole regions. Paul never went to take a place. He went to reach the region. There are regional champions. Listen to me very closely here. God gave me a message. He actually gave me a dream and I woke up and he said he's going to raise up regional champions that are going to take whole regions. Amen. Now, in order to take a region, you have to bring down what was in that region that held the masses of the people. And so this is what Paul says. In the middle of this revival, all of a sudden, unchurched, crazy people are coming to Jesus. Amen? Good gosh. Come on, there we go. How many of you know when unchurched people come, they don't look like you, they don't smell like you, amen? They're unchurched, and it's awesome because they haven't been tainted by religion. And so when they come into the knowledge of the gospel, it changes their life. Just like I did 20-some years ago, giving my life to Christ while I was in the Marines through a Navy chaplain, I got out. I had $7 in my pocket. God said, go make a sign with John 3:16 on it. And I start preaching on the street corners of the bars and clubs that I used to hang out with. Amen. No one had to tell me what to do because the spirit of God said, go and do it. Amen. So revival is taking place. Listen, when some of these unchurched people come in, it's going to shake the church folks up. Why? Because they only know one gear, and that's go. And the second they hear the word of God, they're not people that just want their ears tickled in the crowd. They're people waiting for orders to go and be activated and go out there and shake this thing up. Amen? So it says this. He said, verse 10, 3 through 5, for we walk in the flesh, but we do not War according to the flesh. What does that mean? That means I wish you could take a demonic spirit out with a firearm, but you can't. There are, now, I am not, you, you know every good Marine has firearms with them, amen? You have a spiritual weaponry that is more powerful than anything you know. What's the problem? You don't know your capacity of it, and you don't use it. Someone said that. But when you do, all hell will begin to quake because those spiritual weapons are empowered by God to destroy spiritual beings. Amen. And it says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for ripping down or pulling down strongholds. Amen. What is a stronghold? Someone tell me. Who said fortification? Raise your hand. Good job, brother. A stronghold is something highly fortified with lots of enemies in it that believe it's theirs. 
So to think you are going to rip a stronghold down with a three-second kumbaya, lighten the loafers, Jesus light prayer, it ain't going to happen. Amen? If you're going to rip a stronghold down, number one, you have to get into it. You're going to have to bust through that stronghold. You're going to have spiritual enemies in it that you have to take out. And then guess what? You go dispossess and what? Possess. Listen. There are people, I told this to Scott, we need to believe for, how many remember when Caleb and Joshua went in, everything they needed was already ready. Listen to me. All they had to do was dispossess the enemies of the land and all the provision was ready now. Why? God did not have a generation or two ahead. He needed what he needed done now. Amen. We do not have as a nation a generation or two to wait. We will lose our nation. Amen. So we need to have faith and believe that God is going to bring us into things, remove the enemy, and take it for the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is the battle you and I are in right now? How many of you know? We are defending the knowledge of God. That's why I preach Bible and Bible alone, because this word is meant to be defended. Amen? That's why the Apostle Paul said, I am a defender of what? The gospel. Not his own thoughts, not his own ideas, the word of God and the word of God alone. Revival and transformation and reformation hits an area and a region when what? When the word of God is revealed to many. Martin Luther, I got five minutes. Martin Luther got a scripture and started a worldwide revival with it. One scripture. Do you know every revival throughout time started with one individual getting one revelation, but that revelation was empowered from on high and it shook whole regions, nations, landscapes, strongholds came down in a moment. Amen? Yes. And let's finish here. Bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. So let me ask you today. Are your thought process willing to yield to this? I promise you, you will have certain scriptures that you naturally love. You will have other scriptures that you go, oh. To the level that you will surrender to this is the level you'll be able to bring strongholds down. And then he ends with this thought, and then I'm going to release a prayer over you if you want it. And being ready to punish all disobedience when what? When your obedience is fulfilled. This is what most of the church is ignorant of. Most of the church goes, oh, I got a revelation of God's word. All that garbage Satan put on my mind, I came to the truth. How many know that's a good place to start? What does this passage tell us? 
Once you're done, you must destroy everything that brought you to that point so it can never come back and form a stronghold in your life again. Amen? Because strongholds start with what? Footholds. The enemy always try to get his ugly, stinky foot in your life because he knows if he can wedge it in, in time, he will fortify that thought process and a foothold will go to a stronghold and a stronghold will go to absolutely bind you up. Amen. But when Jesus comes, he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That truth was meant to not only set you loose, but that truth is then used as a sword to execute that which has held you back. If you want that, stand up right now. If you don't, don't listen. We don't pray religious prayers. If you don't want it, some people don't have an app, uh, a desire for that. If you do, stand up in faith right now. I don't do manipulation. I do faith. If you got faith right now and you say, God, help me to be someone that rips strongholds down, first and foremost over your own life, right? Because to the measure we're willing to fight strongholds in our own lives, the measure we can go and rip them down all around us. Amen. Lift your hands to heaven right now. Father, right now, I release a grace for those who desire to rip strongholds down in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I'm asking right now that a tenacity. You said the kingdom of God is not in talk, but it's in power. You said the righteous are as bold as a lion. God, I'm asking right now that a fresh tenacity would begin to be released in your people, oh God, that God, they would not be the people to mess with any longer in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, the devil would go, let's go pick someone down the street. Don't mess with that person. That person makes us pay every single time we come to harass them. And God, I'm asking that that tenacity would be birthed, ignited in the, your people today. And I'm praying, God, that that tenacity would shake up regions in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you. You are the one, the strong man that tears down the strongholds in our life. The Lord of hosts, now, Father, let your name be exalted in this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful lunch. Okay, a couple of things. We want to start letting everybody know that tonight we're going to be doing uh, baptismals. They're going to be up by the flag up in the building on the hill. So at dinner, that's going to be part of dinner. We're going to have a band today at lunch. They're going to start setting up. Obviously, you saw our strategic move last night. We put all the tables out here so you can enjoy it so you don't have to run back and forth. I hope you're hearing the message because this is a lot of Holy Spirit flowing through here today. These are people, these are just, you're hearing the intensity build, the warrior heart rising up. It's an uncompromising heart. We don't play with the Word of God. We don't play with our interpretation of what we think God is. He speaks to us mightily in our heart. We follow that true path. It's not my God, your God, my way, your way. There is a true path, and that path is with Jesus. We don't blend ancient stuff and try to mix it into the modern and try to call it some sort of a hybrid Christianity because that doesn't work. We're going back to the Word, going back to the solidness of our faith, the rock of faith. Truly, Jeremiah 6.16, this was the Word given to me. 
in Bard's Fest 1 that holds to the board today, that truly breaks down strongholds and tears down the fortress. Seek the ancient paths. This is the one, Jeremiah 6.16. And so it is here that we revive that again. It is here that we stand up mightily again as one body, stronger than we ever thought we would be, broken when we came to Bard's Fest 1, risen in Bard's Fest 2, awakening in the warrior heart of Christ, preparing the saints for the work of the ministry in Bard's Fest 3. This is a sacred space. And so carry that with you. There's a lot of interesting discussions going on, but keep Jesus before you. We can talk about this or that, the corruption of this or that. Look, that's the church. That is not God. God is not a corrupted God. That's the word that gets confused by the people that stand at the skinny jean pulpit and the dead stone walls and the marshmallow pews that you know I talk about all the time. The war is real. It's here. It's been here. We've been fighting it. We're continuing to rebuke it. We're rising up above it. There is a mighty war. And remember, we don't always know what we do when we pray. We know we're called to. We know we're called to assemble. But I'll tell you how you do know that there's something really big happening when you start to each person telling the testimonies of the challenges they've had to come here and they've overcome. You know what that tells you? It tells you the enemy's not happy. The enemy's disturbed. The enemy knows that there's something going on here. Amen? So, we have incredible ministry here today. You have incredible people here today. And the word that I was given earlier, and I want to reiterate this because I've walked around now and talked to what I would call my tribe, which I just want to recognize again just how powerful this day is because this is a day of veterans, and it's another way to celebrate veterans. See, we have Veterans Day? Cool. But when earlier today I was, I was speaking and I made the comment, I said, this is Veterans Day, and I will tell you, I just got shocked, and I literally had to take a pause because that's what we're seeing today. You're seeing the veterans who have the experience in the wars of, of foreign lands coming today to speak to you with the heart of the warrior of experience to join this fight on the land that we own and have here. This is a Veterans Day. Celebrate it. Raise them up. Pray for them. We need hands-on every single one of them because these are warriors now that are stepping into the fight, which every one of us have prayed for, and now it's happening. You're seeing that awakening because the tribes are coming together. This is a mighty hour. And don't think this is small. This is huge. And tomorrow you're going to see yet another addition to the tribe when we have Myron and Dottie Lizer from the Navajo Reservation join us. We're going to have Pastor Devin, who just finished, and Pastor Paul, who just finished doing the Trail of Tears, converting it to the Trail of Joy. Amen. We are, we are dealing here with some of the best of the best, and it's truly blessed to have them all here. This afternoon you're going to hear from... Cam Hamilton, Navy SEAL, fighter like you can't believe, scholar in, in, this, in Scripture, here to lead the way, running for office as God called him. And I'll tell you what, I was blessed. He actually let me pray with him to help them that in that critical moment. So God bless Cam. Thank you, sir. So it is, it's an honor today to have these men and women here. So be true is the big message. We don't play games with God. This isn't, this isn't preschool. We aren't doing things back and forth. If you have questions, go to the Word. Pray, pray into your heart. Let Him speak to you. Follow that and get an intimate relationship with our Father. And we're gonna, we, we will see how important that word intimacy will become by the time we close this moment and this weekend. Okay? It's critical. Now, last thing. I've been having some amazing people come and share testimonies. We are open to that. You are safe here. There's no judgment here. We fight in a society that judges us for the burdens we carry, not here. This is a place to break chains. 
This is a place to let it out. This is a place to be healed. And there's multiple personalities. God does not bring a fabric of one type of personality. He brings many, many to the fight to can stand here and to bear witness. And here's the thing. When we pray together, we heal. That's scriptural. When we pray together, we heal. We confess what we have. We carry what's on our heart. We do it together and we heal. That tells us how God's working. He's working through us. Love thy neighbor. Where two or three are gathered, iron sharpens iron. This is who we are. So with that, you had a firebrand. I'm sure you're hungry now that your digestive juices have gone after Pastor Anthony. And if you're not, then we can replay that for you if you'd like. Stand up, be bold, love God, enjoy lunch. God bless you all.